I'm Glenn Robinson, and I've spent the last 30 years as a healthcare leader and overseeing large organizations. And before that, I was in the news business. And I'm Jacob Robinson, his son. I've spent the last five years building a business and learning lessons of leadership along the way. And this is our podcast, Chasing What Matters. On this podcast, we're going to interview leaders from all walks of life and hear their stories of successes and failures and what has made them become who they are today and how their faith and families played a role in their lives and leadership styles. During these interviews, we will be discussing things from business to politics, healthcare to nonprofit, and anything in between to find out how these leaders are chasing what matters in their work and personal life. So welcome to another episode of Chasing What Matters. Hello, everyone. We're so glad that you could join us for another episode of our Chasing What Matters podcast. I'm your co-host, Glenn Robinson. And I'm your other co-host, Jacob Robinson. Uh, Dad, today our guest is Timothy Atik, also known as T.A. T.A. has served as the executive director of Breakaway Ministry since 2016. With the lasting impact Breakaway had on him during his time at Texas A&M, T.A. considers it one of his greatest joys to now serve a new generation of students in the same way he was once served. Prior to moving to College Station, T.A. served as the executive director of Vertical Ministries in Waco for four years and then the student ministry pastor at Austin Ridge Bible Church in Austin for five years. T.A. earned his master's degree from Dallas Theological Seminary and is a proud member of the Fighting Texas Aggie class of 2003. T.A. and his wife, Kat, are raising three future Aggies, Noah, Andrew, and Jake. T.A., man, thank you uh, for being here and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This is a huge uh, honor and privilege. I really am just so excited to sit down and talk with you guys. Well, T.A., thank you so much for being here. And to just get us started, tell us about growing up and what your family life was like. Yeah, so I grew up in in Dallas and uh, have two wonderful parents. Uh, my uh, just an interesting part of my heritage. Uh, my dad is Palestinian, and my mom is pure Texan, and so it's just kind of a. I look more like my dad. My mom is a redhead, uh, blue eye, fair skin, and and I love my heritage. And so I grew up right there in Dallas and have a. A fantastic brother went to Highland Park High School, and then after I graduated from high school, there I ended up at Texas A&M University. That's great. Is your family still in Dallas? They are. That's great. Well, so you ended up at Texas A&M. Uh, tell us about one. How how'd you end up at A&M? What drew you there? Uh, and then a little bit about your time uh, in college, and then uh, the the call to ministry. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in a family that was. Uh, Baylor Bears. And so my brother went to Baylor. My mom went to Baylor. My dad did his grad work at Baylor. So I applied to Baylor. But then I remember a friend and I, we went to Texas A&M while we were still in high school. We went there for a Christian concert weekend. And when I went, I honestly, I fell in love with A&M. I came back from that weekend uh, believing if I get into A&M, that is where I'm going to go. And so that I, I ended up getting into A&M and I ended up uh, going to school there. And it was just such an important shaping time in my life. Uh, I loved my time at A&M and I love that I have the opportunity to be back at A&M. But A&M was just such a, a crucial time for me to grow uh in my character, to grow in my faith, to grow as a leader. Um, 
and to to cultivate relationships with people that really, hopefully, Lord willing, will will last a lifetime. And while I was at A and M, I was a psychology major. And then during the summers, I was going home and I was interning with my church at home. And so I really felt like there were two options. I could go into psychology. My dad is a clinical psychologist in Dallas, or I could go into ministry. And one summer, my dad took me to like the National Psychology Convention and I hated it. It just was, it was not where I wanted to be. And I came back from that and I felt like that was a defining moment in my life where I felt like um, I really feel like God has wired me and gifted me uh, for ministry. I had people in my life affirming that 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 is a good thing for me. And so really after that, I set my sights on ministry and felt like that is where God had me headed. Wow. Well, T.A., Jacob and I have uh, a dear friend, Brett Rogers, and Brett uh, is an Aggie, but he wound up being the Young Life leader for the University yeah. of Texas for a long number of years. And uh, and and you have a similar pathway to a different school of higher learning. Uh, you were at Baylor. And one of the things that you're known for here in the Waco area is just how you grew vertical to something special. Tell our listeners what vertical is, but also tell us about how you wound up there. And then also tell us about the experience that you had while here in Waco? So Vertical uh, is a ministry that was modeled after the ministry that I lead now, Breakaway. Vertical is an on-campus Bible study on Baylor, on the campus of Baylor University. And it was started by students in 2009. There was a group of students that just wanted to see a gathering where students from different backgrounds, different denominations could all come under one roof uh, for the same reason, which was to worship Jesus Christ. And uh, having having been heavily shaped by my time at Breakaway Ministries, I always thought that it would be a fun fit to be a part of a ministry like Breakaway. And I had heard about Vertical, and um, I had gotten asked to, to be a guest speaker at Vertical. Um, Vertical at the time, there was there was a worship band and there was a speaker living in Dallas and they would drive each week to Waco and the speaker couldn't speak that week. So he asked me if I could fill in. And when I went, I was in the midst of figuring out what God had next for my, for my life. And I really didn't know. And um, the current speaker asked me if I would ever be interested in being a director of Vertical. Vertical didn't have a director. Vertical didn't have the money to pay a director. But I felt like when he asked that, I felt like that's what I was supposed to do. So there was no job opportunity. There was no salary for a job. But I um, I felt like I put it in my heart that we were actually supposed to move to Waco, raise the money, and I was supposed to become the first director of vertical. And so that's what we did. I mean, our friends thought we were in some ways crazy because that, you know, I knew they thought we were crazy because they'd be like, oh, you're moving to Waco from Austin and there's not a salary. You're going to raise support. Man, you have a lot of faith. That was their subtle way of saying, 
<laughs> you're crazy. You cannot live off of love. But uh, we um, we took a major step of faith. It was one of the bigger steps of faith that I've taken in my life. And uh, I moved my wife and my two boys to Waco, and um, the Lord just began to provide for us in a really miraculous ways. And we moved there to be the first director of Vertical, and I, I spent four years there investing in students at Baylor University, helping them uh, know Jesus and grow in their enjoyment of Him. Sometimes when you know you just know. Rhonda and I have been through a couple of those, and um, it's kind of like what Paul says in the New Testament. In, in, in the eyes of the world, it just doesn't make sense, but in the eyes of God, it, it's a perfect plan, and, That's and you, you just know it in your heart, and it, it's hard to explain that uh, to, to those folks that are looking at us like we've lost our minds, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but good for you and your wife and your family. And, and was this move pre the Chip and Joanna revolution, or, or was this post? Yeah, we have we have this interesting knack for uh, leaving cities right as they're getting cool. So, like we we were living in Austin and we left Austin, and then Austin just exploded and became this amazing place everyone wanted to be. When we moved to Waco, um, it was before Fixer Upper was out. I actually remember meeting Chip when they were filming. They were filming the reveals for one of the houses. It was right down the street from our house. But as we left Waco, that is when the silos and everything was at its height. So we left Waco then, and Waco's only gotten cooler since we left. And now I know College Station is just waiting for us to leave to have its next (laughs) moment of, of greatness, but that's kind of our journey. T.A., that's funny that you have that impression because Rhonda and I moved here in 07 and uh, downtown was just, uh, it was nothing. In fact, I, I was on the board of the Waco, uh, the Greater Waco Chamber of Commerce, and we hired a downtown development officer to really try to rally downtown pre-Chip and Joanna. And I never will forget the first report that he gave us as, as the chamber board. He said, you know, he said, my first Monday, I set it as a goal to meet every downtown merchant. And he said, I started at nine o'clock and I was back in the office by 1130. And, uh, and, and you look at downtown Waco today and it is just uh, a totally Uh, different world. And I don't think that our community can ever thank Chip and Joanna enough. I, I often kid, but I'm somewhat serious. If you've ever driven I-45 North of Houston, uh, that, that giant statue, especially at night of Sam Houston, uh, if you're driving along the interstate, I think we need one of those for Chip and one of those for Joanna. And I think we need to put it right on the banks of the Brazos. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, I, you know, I, I know your time, like you said, uh, came to an end at vertical, uh, because you got a phone call, uh, to go lead a new organization, the one you're currently running now. And I know when I was at A&M breakaway was, was a, a big part of our college experience. Uh, and I, I know it was the same way for you. And, and a lot of that is, is one just, it's, uh, it's just a phenomenal thing. And, and God continues to use breakaway and, and bless breakaway, but also it was the, it was the guy that was there before you, Ben Stewart. And, and, uh, for anybody that knows Ben Stewart, uh, those are big shoes to fill, right? And you were coming into, uh, a massive organization, uh, at least as far as like attendance on, a, on a Tuesday night, 
being led by a guy that's dearly loved, uh, and he left in good graces. And and it, and and so, uh, what was that call like? That said, hey, do you want to fill Ben Stewart's shoes? And and what was your mind going through? And I think one of the talks I've listened to you um, share was talking about how your 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 meeting for your first Tuesday night. Uh, it was I think it was I, I thought it was funny that somebody said, do we need to get bomb dogs? And you thought. <laughs> Uh, yeah. That was a food truck for hot dogs yeah. rather than uh, dogs that can sniff for bombs uh, yeah. because it was just a whole new world that you were put into. And so walk us through that experience mentally and how you prepared for that and, and what that, those first few months were like. Well, so um, when Ben was the director and I was at Vertical, I was kind of Ben's last minute go to guest speaker. So since Vertical met on Mondays, Tuesdays was a pretty free night for me. And so Ben might text me on Sunday and be like, hey, can you be here Tuesday? And it was a, it was an easy thing. And so I'd speak at Breakaway maybe once a semester. And I had, Ben had me in College Station speaking at Breakaway. And the next morning, Ben wanted to meet for breakfast. And I sat down at breakfast with him. He was like, hey, here's the deal. I'm leaving Breakaway. I'm going to plant a church with passion and I want you to become the next director of breakaway. What do you think about that? Wow. And this, I was like, well, I mean, I think that that, you know, what I, I feel that the, the thing that is really, I think what I'm feeling and I, I just couldn't articulate that moment because breakaway had been my favorite part of my college experience. So to have the invitation to come back and lead the organization that really played a huge part in my spiritual trajectory was a dream opportunity. And that was a, that was an amazing moment for my wife and I, and there were so many people that were excited for us, you know, was getting texts kind of like we knew it would be you. And it, there was a lot of excitement. And then came the awkward comments of people, you know, just telling me, Oh man, you're taking a break. Like, man, you got big shoes to fill. I mean, I had multiple people telling, talking to me about Ben's shoes. And uh, that's a tough thing. I mean, it really was a tough thing. I think it put something in me. I, I think that it, it challenged me. And I allowed comparison to kind of creep into my soul. The funny thing or the interesting thing is that Ben's a good friend. Like he is one of the most trusted advisors I have in my life. And I genuinely think Ben is one of the best communicators in our nation. And I'm great with that. But stepping in to lead the organization, it, uh, I know at least at first I felt like on Tuesday nights I was stepping onto an audition stage um, in front of a crowd of thousands of people who were, eyeing me to see how I was going to measure up to Ben. And so that's a really tough moment in leadership, you know, um, because Ben left Breakaway in incredible condition. Like there was nothing broken that I had to come in and be like, okay, this thing is on life support and it needs to be, there was none of that. It was like, okay, it was more like, don't screw it up. It's working. Like, you know, and, and the ministries that I had been in before were, were, were building opportunities. And this was different because it was the first thing that I had stepped into where it wasn't like, man, this thing could go away tomorrow. Breakaway was more like it's been around for 20 something years. So 
don't tinker with it, you know, was kind of the feeling. So it was, it was uh, such a privilege. And also at the same time, uh, the weight of it at times felt crushing. Let's, I want to circle back and and kind of dissect something you were talking about, because I think young leaders, uh, I mean, heck, even even older leaders, I think when you're given a new opportunity, uh, whether it's your idea, whether it's a promotion, uh, but it's a new level um, there, there are, and, and you feel God is saying, Hey, I, I want you right here. You still encounter typically, uh, man, maybe three people, but, but you definitely encounter the person that is your cheerleader. I knew it was you. I think you're going to crush it. Go kill it. And you just want to hang out with that person. But then yeah. there's the person, whether it be somebody on your team or maybe it's even a family member or a close friend that goes, man, I, ugh, I that's a big job. Are you sure you can handle that? <laughs> yeah. And And so, Walk us through, and then there's probably just flat out people that says, "I it should never be you, right? And, and so there's probably yeah. those people. Walk our listeners through how you process that mentally and how you would encourage them to process. Here's a new challenge. You may have, I don't want to use the term, some doubters, but you have people that are saying, are you sure you're the right guy? How do you not let that creep in and take over what, what God wants you to do? Yeah, I mean, if if you're not careful, you will enslave yourself to the approval of people. Here's the thing. People are really fickle. I mean, incredibly fickle with their praise and with their approval. I mean, people will, I mean, people will hoist you up on their shoulders one day and man, they will, you know, call for your head the next day. Like people just, people are such fair weather fans, you know, they, so my point is, if you entrust yourself to the approval of people, man, that is, you're always going to be chasing something. Always. You will always be chasing something. And you'll always feel like you're trying to hug a cloud because what you're trying to get your grip on, it's, it's, it's elusive. Hmm. And so the journey that God had me on was what I really had to wrestle with is, Am I going to determine my whether I should be here based on what individuals think or based on the fact that God called me to be here? And I had to get to a point, and no one was, I, fortunately, in the almost five years I've been here, no one has looked at me and been like, you shouldn't be here. Like, you don't belong here. Uh, maybe they've said it behind my back, but no one has said it to my face. There's been people who have been very encouraging along the way, but um, regardless, the place that I had to get to was, and I've had to have multiple people tell me like, God called you to be here. So if God called you to be here, then basically you need to settle down and just lean into that and live in that. And until God calls you to what calls you away from it, that this is where you are the guy. And so if God wanted Ben to still be here, Ben would still be here, but he has Timothy Atik here. So Timothy Atik is the person that God has chosen to lead. So you need to step up and lead. Wow, that's good. TA, I think those are just such insightful and wise words. I, 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 I truly believe that when we're investing our lives in an institution that's larger than ourselves, and and certainly, you know, Breakaway is one of those, 
then I think that God has a leader for a particular season. And, and I think if you look back and you look back what happened with Breakaway under Ben's leadership, and now you look at what's happening with Breakaway under your leadership, God is blessing that abundantly. And so I think it was time for that leadership change. And, and I encourage young leaders uh, because I hear them sometimes going, well, I never want to follow somebody who's successful. I know that's not easy. But it is often the right thing to do, and it, and and I I just commend you for accepting something that did not look easy, but uh, you just jumped right in, and uh, great great job doing that. You've been teaching a phenomenal series on leadership. Jacob and I have been talking about that. He's been listening to it, keeping me updated, and he's just been so excited about this and excited about having you on at this particular time because this series is on leadership with the focus on the life of David. Tell us, T.A., why you think it's so important for the generation that you're leading now to hear this particular message. Well, if you look at the generation that is in college right now, it's known as Generation Z. It is a very ambitious generation. It's a generation that wants to leave their mark on the world. They, they want to be change agents in the world. And so you have students that are creating their own apps that are I mean, you have students that are making tons of money as students. Like they will never be a subordinate to someone else. Like they will be their own boss for a long time because they are they are driven, they are motivated, and they want to do big things, which is great. But um, you know, passion or zeal without wisdom can be very dangerous, but zeal with wisdom can produce great impact. And so for me, that's why I don't want to just give students principles. Like I want to point that if if you're going to learn leadership, I think there's no better book out there than the Bible. Like even if someone isn't a Christian, you should, and you want to be a great leader, you should read the Bible. Because you've got guys in the Bible who were in charge of leading two million people. So just that, do a case study on Moses, who was in charge of leading millions of people. I mean, even the greatest companies right now don't have that many employees, if that makes sense. So, um, But I especially love the life of David because David was anointed king. You kind of pick up David's life in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and he's about 15 years old. He doesn't become king until about the age of 30. And so you have this 15-year window, and and there are several chapters devoted to that 15-year period. And so we get to see David as a young adult. Like, we get to see him navigating life and leadership, and we get multiple chapters of his 15 to 25 age range. And so it, he is a great case study for college students on leadership. Well, you know, uh, trying to figure out all the questions we were going to ask you today, it, it became uh, a difficult challenge because I've, I've been listening to this series that you produced and I've, I frankly had too many questions. And so we had to start uh, trimming them back. But, um, you know, in this, in this series that uh, I'll go ahead and plug it, I hope turns into a book. Uh, if you're not thinking it, you should be thinking it. But um, one of the first things you talk about is how to be a leader worth following. Tell us about that concept. 
Well, I mean, it, it's important to realize, like, um, you know, people will, there's a difference between being a leader in a position and being a leader that someone's going to follow. Like, people will submit to a position, but people will follow a leader. So what I mean by that is, like, you know, there's a lot of people in leadership positions that no one respects because they're not they're not leading. And then there's people who don't have official titles that of leadership yet they've got tons of people following them. And so there 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 is something to being a leader worth following. I remember being in seminary and Howard Hendricks, famous professor at Dallas Seminary. He was known for saying, if you consider yourself a leader, just turn around and see who's following you. Because if no one's following you, you're not a leader. And so there is something to being a leader that is worth following. And I think what I want this next generation to know is, hey, character matters. Um, I like to say people, you know, uh, talent will get you a job. Character will help you keep that job. Um, I know for me in my own life, there was a season where my talent outpaced my character. And that's a really dangerous thing to be a really talented person that is lacking character. That, that character is what, is what will cause people to look at you, respect you, and follow you for the long haul. And so, you know, we've talked at length about character and having, you know, a, a godly conscience, a conscience that will, will lead you to sweat the small things and knowing the difference between being unqualified and disqualified. Like there is a way that you can live and operate that just kind of disqualifies you being an effective leader, especially in the Christian realm. Um, and so anyway... Uh, the the thing that I want people to know is, man, you're going to naturally cultivate your talent because that's what you want to do. Like you're, you're going to school to learn and you're going to put yourself in positions to hone your craft. I mean, your character, it's, it's tough when you have a lot of talent because everyone praises you. And when people are praising you, you feel like you're doing everything right. It's kind of like, well, I'm not going to do anything different because apparently what I'm doing is good. But it's the stuff that happens behind closed doors. It's the stuff that's happening internal. A friend, Todd Wagner says, you know, uh, who you are when no one else is around is who you are. And so that matters to really identify who I, who am I when no one else is around and who am I when only loved ones are around because we let our guards down with those who we love most. And, and so point being, man, cultivate your character. No, that's such a good message. Uh, it takes integrity and character for you to have influence. And influence then to, can be developed into leadership and uh, such such great insight, T.A. Speak to our listeners that are out there, maybe dig a little deeper uh, along this vein. And, and that would be for those that are perhaps want to be in a leadership role, but they keep getting passed over. Uh, what advice would you give to them? You know, I would say, uh, don't wait for a position to lead. So you, you don't have to be 
anointed as a leader, specifically with a job title, to be an effective leader. So whether people realize it or not, they are a leader. You know, if you're if you have kids, you are a leader. If you live in a neighborhood, you can be a leader. If you volunteer at church or in the community, you you have opportunities to lead every day. And so, you know, I think about David. David gets anointed as king at the age of 15, but then what does he do? He goes right back out to the field to lead his father's sheep. And so I I just love that because his faithfulness in the small things paved the way for him to be faithful in the big things. And so I tell you that just to say, you know what? If you have the opportunity to lead one person, lead that person really well. If you can influence one person, even if it's in an informal setting, even if you're just talking about, you know, serving with the middle school at your church, like be faithful to do it. Like give everything you have to leading well. Be faithful in the small moments because those moments prepare you and equip you to be faithful in the big moments. Anytime you you feel like you're in the in-between, like you want certain positions, but you're not getting them, man, just see it as, as you have a little bit more runway to put as many tool belts in your tool belt as possible behind the scenes before you get, before you then lead in a more public setting. You know, you can... What you want to do is, man, you want as many tools in your tool belt as possible. So in those moments, be a sponge, listen to podcasts, read great books, talk to mentors, get lunches with people, cultivate your craft as much as possible, be faithful. Well, T.A., I know listening to your series, one of the most impactful things that you've talked about was being a leader that learns how to celebrate other leaders. And, and I know as any, any leader, but, but definitely as a young leader, um, jealousy and, 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 and pride and ego can creep in really quickly when you see peers succeeding, um, a coworker that you don't feel like should succeed is succeeding maybe. And so you, you talked about the idea of the power of comparison, rejection, or celebration. And, and so talk to our, our, our audience about that. Yeah, well, we see it in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18. Saul, just it drives him crazy that David is getting a lot of praise. So he compares the praise he receives to the praise that David receives, and it really leads to his life spiraling. You know, comparison is something that I've wrestled with. I shared earlier about how I compared myself to Ben, and you know, comparison is a thief of joy. It really, it really will break into the house of your soul and, and steal from you because you will live in this constant state of trying to be uh, just as good as someone or better than someone. I remember a long time ago, I was running on the treadmill at the gym and I felt like God just kind of knocked me on the side of the head and I just felt like in that moment, the message was, T.A., you need everyone else around you to be a nobody so that you can feel like a somebody. And what an unhealthy place to be that, that we 
can get to a point where we feel like other people need to fail so that we can feel like a success. And on the flip side, if other people succeed, we interpret that as we're failures. And the reality is, man, it is possible for you to win and for me to win at the same time. Like there is a, there is great enough need in this world for, for great leaders to have their hands full and for both to succeed. And so I talked about this with Ben Stewart, the one that I, we, Ben knows the story about comparison. And anytime I talk about it, he tells me who he compared himself to. And, and so it's neat that we're able to connect on that. But I remember Ben even telling me like, like it, it is no, it to celebrate one another, like no one loses. Like that is only a great thing. And I, that really stuck with me. And there is so much power in just being freed up to just say like, you know what? You can win. And, and that's a win. Like for you to win, that's a win for me, especially in the Christian realm. Like for Ben to win, that is for me to win too, because we're on the same team. But when we talk about rejection, what we're just saying is like, especially in the Christian realm, like if God is using them and that bothers me, I'm rejecting God's will for that person's life. And that, that peels back a whole nother layer of unhealthiness. And so for me, it's been really healthy to just get to a place where I can say like, I want you to win. Like I want you to succeed and for you to succeed does not mean that I'm that I'm a failure. That's good. Well, what uh, a couple of quotes I wrote down: "Comparison is a thief of joy," and celebrate each other, then no one loses. And uh, great, great stuff, TA. Well, as we begin to wrap up, uh, one of our final questions before we head into our rapid fire round: As you lead this generation. What encouragement would you have for these young leaders? And then also, what encouragement would you have for those of us of an older generation? Well, I think for the for the younger generation, it is zeal plus wisdom equals impact. And there's this growing divide right now between information and wisdom. And you see that. The reason I say that is just because Generation Z is the internet in your pocket generation, first generation that has not had to acclimate to the internet. It's they've they've just known it growing up. And they they have more information coming into their lives at any given moment than we ever have in history. But if you look at all the information coming into their life, there's this growing divide between information and wisdom. And so I think my encouragement to them is seek out wisdom. You know, you have a ton of information coming into your life, but you need trusted sources that you can point to and say, I know that I can trust this as wisdom. And so for, you know, people in their youth, and I was one of these people, I always felt like I, I didn't need to be told what to do. I just, knew I know like let me figure it out like there's that youthful arrogance 
and man, I know for me, I missed out on so much wisdom because I spent too many years, especially in my early 20s, thinking that I was God's gift to creation, thinking I already knew it all. So I just encourage the younger generation, be a sponge, get around older leaders. I tell people all the time, like, get on people's calendar and show up with a notepad and a pen and good questions. And you show up and you say, hey, look, I don't want to waste your time. I don't want a small talk. I've got a list of questions and I want to learn from you. So if you don't mind, let me just ask you because you have great wisdom and I want to learn from that because I just think, man, you have an older generation that has a lot to offer. You have a younger generation that truly can change the world. So those two can meet by the older generation investing in the younger generation when the younger generation is open and receptive to learning that can be a really powerful thing. And then to the older generation, it's, it's don't count the next generation out. You know, do not count them out. I think there's this tendency to always look at the younger generation and, and to, and to mourn the loss of the younger generation. It's like, man, back in my day. And I, I do this. Like I, I do this. I'm like, you know what? When, when I was their age, you know, this, and I don't know when I listen. The, I the mean, generation at AM right now had to know they didn't have to suffer through the lack of restaurants, like, like you know, so exactly, exactly, they don't get it. It they don't get it at all. I mean, that is a that is that is real, that is a real hardship that we face. But anyway, um, you know, I think for for us to look at the younger generation and to see, like, you know what. Everyone goes through that youthful stage where you're, it, they're going to be rough around the edges. They're going to make decisions that you're like, oh man, kind of what were you thinking? But you know what? I have plenty of those. That's half of my illustrations and teaching is I look back and I'm like, what was I thinking? But you have this generation that is, is highly ambitious and loves to learn. And so you take that. And you think about the fact that they truly want to change the world. You know, from my context, if I can equip them with the good news of Christianity, of Jesus Christ, no telling what they're capable of. But I just encourage the older generation, man, it's our, it's our turn to raise up the next generation. So we need to invest ourselves like and we have something to offer. Just life experience makes you, gives you wisdom to impart. So I'd just say, man, find a way to, to invest in the next generation, you know, raise them up because they're going to, they're going to change the world. TA, I think what you're saying is just right on target. I, I think that we've got all this going on right now as to whether you should part your hair on the side, part your hair in the middle and, and all the controversy that's going on and having the total pleasure of running a health system with multi-generational employees, but also multi-generational leaders. And I think we can so easily get caught up in uh, Gen Z or millennials do this and this, that, and the other. And we begin pigeonholing people and we really lose sight of the value that every, Everybody brings to the table. Uh, 
uh, everybody, everybody has a gift to offer. And uh, just because you were born in a certain year doesn't necessarily make you totally a certain way. And I think that's, uh, I think that's what you're saying is that we know there's some generalities, but we still must see each soul as an individual for sure. That's right. Absolutely. Well, uh, I know for one, uh, it's pretty cool to have a dad, uh, who knows about the hair parting debate, uh, no matter your age, that's, pretty <laughs> impressive there. that's uh, I'm, I, that was awesome. Um, staying up on your current events. Um, well, TA, before we let you go, man, uh, we, we, we are, uh, going to run through what we're called the rapid fire questions, uh, just so we can pick your brain a little bit more. And, uh, my dad's got our first question for us. Well, and just for the record, I'm, I'm looking at TA's hairstyle and he does not have a part. He is just all about the top. And so, uh, and he also has hair compared to, compared to me, which is, you know, (laughs) and so for our listeners that are not able to see this, uh, you're looking good today, TA. Hey, uh, what's the worst and uh, best advice that you've ever been given? Best advice, worst advice. Uh, the best advice it's the it's the word of wisdom that I have come back to and repeated the most. It was a uh, it was an older man told me. He said, "Ta, your view of God determines your response to God." So, it, especially when it comes to to having, if faith is important to someone, having a vibrant faith, it starts with your view of God. A lot of times, people just want to discipline themselves to be better people. But in actuality, when you when you first stop to to think about who God is, that is what that's what we do in relationships. Your view of a person determines how you respond to that person. And so for him to say that it really has impacted it it's it's impacted the way that I teach and understand what that relationship with God looks like. Worst advice I was ever given, this was just specific to my life, but I was in the wrong dating relationship and there was somebody that said, y'all just need to get married. And I was like, <laughs> looking back, I'm like, marriage doesn't fix problems. Marriage intensifies problems. So if there's any single people out there or people who are dating and you're like, I have red flags, but I think marriage could fix them. No, marriage yeah. will just make them bigger red flags. And so that was the worst advice that I could remember. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go to the next question. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I'm the, the right person, uh, that puts up with me. Um, TA, who are the most influential people in your life? Um, so, uh, a few people that I, I feel like God has used as shaping forces as number one, Brian Fisher. Brian is the senior pastor at a church here in College Station. He was also my college pastor. And he's just a guy who is incredibly wise. He's a very, very strong leader. He he thinks very strategically. So he's a guy that I can go to about a lot of different things and learn from him. Uh, Greg Mott was the founding director of Breakway. He's the senior pastor at Houston's First Baptist Church. He's just a world-class leader. Um, And so, again, the way that he is able to see things and think through things makes him a really great filter for me. And then I think um, Todd Wagner, who is the senior pastor of Watermark Community Church. Um, Todd's a friend, but I wouldn't say I have not I, we've spent time together, but it hasn't been like I have with Greg or Brian. It's been more from afar, just 
uh, how he leads and how he lives life, the, the way that he is intentional as a man, as a husband, as a dad, has been really helpful for me. Three awesome people, for sure. T.A., thank you for that. Uh, how about over the last year, what big events have taken place in your life? So I, um, for the last couple of years, I've been in a doctoral program. It's a professional doctorate through a seminary in, in Louisville. So I've been getting a, a doctorate of educational ministry, a D-Edmin is what it's known as. And uh, that has been a major life shift for me. It's The doctorate is in executive leadership, and it's been the perfect thing for me in this season of life. It has stirred the pot on my leadership in a fantastic way. But it has also just, you know, I've got a wife, three kids, and have been leading a ministry through a pandemic. And so to add on a doctorate, it is it has forced me to find a whole new gear for execution in life. But uh, it's been a major thing. I It has prompted me to read a ton. It has prompted me to write a ton. I just defended my doctoral uh, project, which was on uh, pornography in the midst of Generation Z. And so that that is finishing up in May, but that's been a big life thing for me. And then just leading breakaway through a pandemic. I mean, we're all going to get through this pandemic as leaders and be like, that was traumatic to lead through that, to, to just be a leader during this time. Um, navigating all of the different opinions and navigating all the different complexities of, you know, trying to meet in person or virtually all that. So. Well, congratulations on almost getting to the finish line, and you've already got the the, the big hurdles uh, there in your rearview mirror. I went back to grad school as as an adult uh, with a family and a full time job. I didn't have a pandemic to deal with, but uh, TA, I know what you've been doing, trying to uh, juggle all those priorities. So, congratulations, uh, uh, almost getting there, and so hopefully yeah. you'll be celebrating soon. Yeah. yeah. We can go back and re-record it to introduce Dr. Timothy Atik. Uh, if there we need you to. go. So, uh, all right. Next question: When was the last time you took a risk, and how did it work out? Um. So, this was—I mean, this is in the scheme of things. It's a—it's a small thing, but I—I uh, I speak at this church in Houston. Uh, about eight times a year. And for some reason, every time I drive there, I pass by this gas station and I feel like every time I pass by it, God puts that gas station on my heart. And so I just felt like, you know, I felt like the next time I was going, I needed to stop in there and just see what God had for me. And so I went in and the guy behind the counter walked out and I was like, hey, I just felt like I was supposed to come in here and and ask you, is there anything you or your family needs that I can ask God to help you with? So I just walked in, got from the counter, walked out, and I just was like, I just wanted to ask you. I just, and it was the coolest thing because this guy was able to share, you know what, I'm, he just shared a little bit of his story. He's like, you know what, I'm a Christian too. And uh, I'm from Africa and I'm, I'm here right now. And his, his, he's trying to get, you know, he's, trying to get some permanency here in the United States and his paperwork has gotten 
hamstrung, tied up, and uh, and I think it was causing him a lot of stress and anxiety. So to just be able to step into his life in that moment and to, and to pray for them, pray for him right then, it was it was a small risk. You know, the only thing I was risking was him telling me no or get out. But it was still vulnerable. And uh, I drove away that day just really full of joy in life because it's like, man, I should I, I should just I should take more opportunities like that because it was really fulfilling. Wow. T.A., tell us about the best job and the worst job that you've ever had. Well, the best job is what I'm in right now at Breakway. It, I mean, I shared it before, but I mean, it's a dream opportunity to get to lead the organization that really helped shape my spiritual trajectory. Worst job I ever had was my first job. I, uh, I worked at a, like back in the day when I was in high school, when to develop pictures, you had to like take the little like 35 millimeter canisters to a store. Like I was the guy that would take the canisters and like extract the film from the canisters. And then I know I wasn't the guy who ran through and developed them, but then I had to sit there and look through every picture. Sometimes you don't want to see people's pictures, you know? So anyway, that's, that's what, that was my first job. Wow. Bad and interesting. I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, what book are you reading right now? Uh, right now I'm reading a book called Essentialism by Greg McCowan. Okay. Very cool. And in addition to the Bible, how about the best book that you've ever read? That's a tough question. I, um, I, uh, I will say that the, I'm going to give you two, the, um, the, my favorite like Christian book, which is just a classic and really, really short, but very, very, like you can't read more than one chapter at a time is uh, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozier. Just extremely, sh- it's an amazing book. And then, you know, because of this doctoral program I'm in, I've just been like saturated with leadership books. And the book that I enjoyed reading the most, I mean, the, the one that like I could not wait to get back to it. I just loved it. Um, and I, it might just be my favorite for this season, but I absolutely loved um, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. It's the story of Nike. And man, the way that book was written and his, the way he tells that journey, um, I ate it up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I made the mistake, though, uh, for those of you who have not read it, it's a, it's a thick book. I made the mistake of downloading it onto my iPhone. Uh, that is that is probably not the best way to cruise through a book that thick uh, is is you know screen by screen, uh, but it was <laughs> phenomenal, phenomenal book. Well, well, TA man, we cannot say thank you enough for for being on the show today. Uh, it truly was an honor to sit down with you uh, and discuss your amazing journey uh, that has led you to Breakaway. So thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Great to get to connect with you guys. Absolutely. Well, to all our listeners, make sure you check out our show notes. Uh, we're going to put links to TA social media, to Breakaway's website, and we'll post uh, the the lessons on leadership that TA has been uh, uh, walking through these past few weeks. 
Hey, thanks so much for joining us, TA. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Make sure you subscribe, share our podcast with others, and follow us along on our Instagram account. And until next time, keep chasing what matters.